I'm here today with Kate Rademacher, the author of a new book titled Reclaiming Rest, The Promise of Sabbath, Solitude, and Stillness in a Restless World. Kate works in international public health and is also the author of previous books, Their Faces Shown and Following the Red Bird. Um, in recognition of Kate's leadership in global health, she is in the inaugural cohort of, a, of an organization called Women Lift Health, which is sponsored by Stanford University. She and her family live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And you can learn more about Kate at kateradamacher.com. So Kate, as always, it's so wonderful to be able to spend some time with you today. Thank you, Brian. You're one of, you and everything you're doing, you're one of my favorite people, so I'm really honored to be here. So thank you. Well, that obviously goes both ways. And, uh, you know, we've been able to collaborate together on several different things, which has just been really wonderful. So, um, but I'd love for you to talk to folks a little bit more about your background. You know, since you've got this kind of bivocational, you know, aspect of things and you've got a, a serious day job. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about all of that? Yeah, sure. I, um, I, I love the word bivocational. It's kind of come to me just fairly recently. And um, as you mentioned, I work, <clears throat> excuse me, in international public health. So I focus most of my work, almost all of my work is on expanding access to contraception in developing country contexts. So I work for a large NGO. Um, actually, our headquarters is here in Durham, North Carolina, and um, it's just been a fabulous place. Prior to that, I worked domestically. Um, I'm a graduate of UNC Chapel Hill School of Public Health. So I really, um, I, I feel incredible sense of like vocation around that work. Um, and I actually wrote about that in my first memoir. And then I have this kind of like quirky, evolving uh, faith life. So I um, was not raised as a Christian. I was, um, and I found myself unexpectedly going through a conversion journey in my early 30s. And so I was baptized and confirmed in the Episcopal Church um, when I was in my mid-30s. And I'm married to a Buddhist, um, a guy who's very serious about his Buddhism. So I've, I have kind of, like I said, a quirky faith background. And um, a couple weeks after I was baptized, I found myself sort of speaking of the word restless, I found myself restless and um, ended up writing, feel, feeling called to write. And so three books later, um, <laughs> I have this kind of second vocation and um, as, a, as, a, as a writer, as a Christian writer. And um, you and the work you do through writing for your life and Compassionate Christianity have truly been incredibly um, helpful, supportive, um, just incredible resources for me because as you know, it's, it's confusing. It's, it's hard to write. And then it's really confusing to know how to like get your writing out there if you're a new writer. So, um, so I've been grateful to partner with you on a number of things. <laughs> so um, before we talk about books and stuff, I'd really like to hear more about Women Lift Health. What exactly is that? Yeah, sure. So I was really honored to be um, nominated to the program about a year and a half ago. We actually had to sort of take a small pause because of COVID-19, but um, it's a program that is designed to support women who are in global health as a career and are like mid-career, they say, and to really help try to, um, I think, increase the number of women leaders in, um, in public health and global health specifically. And so I think it's really designed to say to sort of emerging leaders or leaders who are mid-career and sort of how to help them go to the next level. Um, so it's been interesting. So it's been, it's included, um, you know, kind of some didactic training. It's included mentoring and coaching. Um, and it's just been an incredible cohort of women. And actually, 
you know, I, we started by talking about being bivocational. It's really been a place where I've been able to bring my whole self to the table. And I think that that's part actually of being a leader is like feeling more and more confident and ready to sort of step into all parts of yourself publicly and internally. And so actually the women lift cohort, you know, I, I'm there ostensibly, of course, for my work in international public health, but I've been really talking about the release of Reclaiming Rest. And of course, here I have the book, I'll hold it up. Um, it's coming out in June. And, you know, the, the book is about issues of work-life balance, although I'm not really a big fan of that phrase. Um, and of course, you know, women um, in all different you know, working settings struggle often with that issue. And so um, I've also been able to bring the exploration of um, rest as a public health issue to my work through MenLift. I don't know if you know, we can talk more about this, but in 2019, the World Health Organization classified burnout as an occupational phenomenon for the first time mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. So there's just been a lot more emphasis and sort of exploration of the issue of professional burnout. Um, often it's focused on frontline healthcare workers, nurses and doctors, um, but you know, I know from my own work, and of course, I think the pandemic has made it clear, like to have public health, you have this whole infrastructure of health professionals, right? And so, um, and then of course, in other, in other, all sorts of industries, burnout is a, is a major issue. So I think there's a lot more discussion about this topic in, in many domains. And so hopefully the, you know, my book will be a timely contribution to that conversation. Interesting. Interesting. Well, congratulations on the Women Lift, you know, health, uh, you know, program. Thanks, it's so fantastic that you're in that, and I, you know, look forward to hearing more uh, throughout your journey there. So, yeah, thanks. So, um, so now let's talk about books. But before we get to the new one, talk to folks a little bit more about you know the first two that I mentioned that you wrote. Sure. Well, I brought that. I thought it's always good to have show and tell. Of course, and you said that you wanted to see them. So this is the first one, Falling the Red Bird, and actually both of my two books. Falling Writer and Their Faces Shown were published by Light Messages Publishing, which is an independent press based on North Carolina, and they, they're fabulous. And um, the first book, Falling Red Bird, is about kind of, again, my very unexpected conversion journey. But more than that, sort of the first year after um, my baptism and confirmation and, and just sort of like as I was really trying to figure out what does it mean to be a Christian? How do I do this? I think actually being married to a Buddhist, there's so much emphasis on like how you do spirituality as a Buddhist. And so I think I really brought that mindset to my nascent Christianity, like, you know, what, not just what do I believe, but what do I do about it? How do I act in the world? How do I think inside my own head? How do I transform my own heart? Um, so that book is a lot about that. Then my second book, um, and we had a really fun launch interview um, for that book, uh, Their Faces Shown, is about our experience as a um, as foster parents. So we had a foster daughter with us for about a year. And, um, you know, like like everything in life, it was really a spiritual journey as much as anything else. I mean, it was a, the subtitle is Lessons on Loving and Let, Letting Go. So it was really about loving and letting go. She left our left our house and there was a lot of grief around that and, of course, a lot of growth. So those were my first two books. Yeah, I, that was a really fun interview. And, and, you know, I give you a lot of credit for the courage to write about things like that that involve not just you, but, you know, your yeah. your spouse, right? So, I mean, that's uh, really wonderful that you were able to accomplish those things. Well, David's been really generous to let me uh, write about our journey. He's, he's the hero of the story. <laughs> so um, so now let's talk about the new book. So how did that come about? What, what led up to Re Reclaiming Rest? Yeah, so it's kind of a, um, 
I mean, it's sort of a funny, I think it's kind of a funny story. Like, so I'm this new Christian. Well, actually, this, the story goes, the story begins before I was baptized. So I um, became exposed to Sabbath keeping as a spiritual practice when I was still kind of in an exploration mode. And Wayne Mueller's book, Sabbath, which is great, really inspired me. And so kind of on my own, I started to develop a weekly Sabbath practice because I was struggling, like many people, with stress and overwhelm and how to balance it all and really wanting and, you know, really wanting to live differently. And so um, I started having a Sabbath practice, but I felt lonely. I didn't know how to do it. You know, I'm, I'm not Jewish, so I didn't have the kind of like, you know, that culture and guidance and, you know, community backing me up. So I was really hungry for community and my Sabbath keeping because partly I wanted accountability and permission and help, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to do something that's against the grain. Um, and a lot of my colleagues are on email responding to emails at all times of, you know, nights, weekends, vacations. And so I need role models, you know, so I was looking for that. And then I, so then I became a Christian and I, that's a whole nother story, which again, I told them following red bird. And so perhaps naively I got to church thinking, great, I didn't become a Christian for Sabbath keeping, but now that I am like, here I am, let's all do this. And then I was really surprised (laughs) that Sabbath keeping has really gone out of fashion, at least in a lot of mainline Protestant churches. And that's what the data shows. Well, um, so I, I write in the book, like, I didn't think I was naive going in and about many, many, many things. I wasn't naive, but this one, this area I was. So um, a lot of it actually was, and I think, I think this surprises people, but I felt an incredible sense of like grief and disappointment because again, I want help living differently. Like I think one of the beauties of church and we don't often think of this way is that, you know, church helps us have a really different worldview. Like it helps us orient ourselves to different values, different vision, different purpose. And so I wanted part of that as to be around rest. Um, And so that was kind of like what started the whole thing was that sort of like, um, hunger and sadness and disappointment. I, I would say, luck, thankfully, it's evolved, but I'm just, I'm laughing because it took um, me researching and writing a whole book about rest to, <laughs> <laughs> to finally, now I have a really committed weekly Sabbath practice. And I fa- actually have found a really, a lot of community in it. Um, I have what I call in the book, I have a Sabbath buddy. So somebody at church and I, we found each other and that's been really supportive, um, but also just really understanding the theology of Sabbath has been really helpful because actually, Brian, what it's, what it's done for me is it's just been this whole um, window into better understanding Christian theology, because really for me, it's about why do we work and why do we rest? And that's kind of like, that means like, what, what are we doing in the world? Right. And so the theology, as I've dug into the theology, it really has helped me challenge my, existing answers to those questions and then sort of go deeper into my faith life. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, But, you know, it's just kind of interesting between, you know, our different personalities because in in the past I've asked myself before, like, why do we need to sleep? (laughs) Whose idea was, you know, that we had to spend half the time, you know, whatever, sleeping. Right. We could just be awake and productive, you know, getting done all those hours. Why do we need to sleep? You know, so... (laughs) Well, no, you're, and you're not actually alone. I, you know, I did a lot of research and reading about sleep and, and rest for this book. And there have been, you know, I think it was, um, uh, there's some, you should, I'll go, I'll send you an article. There've been these like 
preeminent leaders who have asked that same question and who have tried to like wean them off of themselves off of sleep <laughs> because they're like, this is a waste of time. So, um, well, I know, you know better I, than to try that, you know, I'm right? not an advocate of it because <laughs> that's stupid. Right. But, uh, but it's just, it just, you know, begs the question of like, whose idea was this? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I don't, you know, I, I think it's also interesting because I'm, you know, there's a lot of people who sort of like feed into this sort of self-care, um, you know, that self-care is really important. And, and again, what I really, the way I open the book is um, I actually quote, quote Lauren Winner's book, Mudhouse Sabbath, by saying, you know, that the world is full of messages about take care, you know, treat yourself to an extra, extra long bubble bath, treat yourself to a glass of Chardonnay, like, you know, and she, and then I end the I end the chapter by saying, like, we are restless people. We need more than extra long bubble bath. You know, we need we need deeper answers to what the meaning of work is and what the meaning of rest is. So. <laughs> so another concept that you go into in the books that I hadn't thought about this angle before is that, you know, rest as a social justice issue. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, there are so many kind of sides of that. So, I mean, I think, first of all, the biggest one is who, you know, who can afford to rest and who has the right to rest. Um, I was, you know, writing this book in the middle of the pandemic, and I was also writing the book um, while we were kind of through this national and international reckoning with violent white supremacy um, following the death of George Floyd and other Black Americans. Um I mean, so there's just, you know, it was obviously this, this has been a time of reflection and for many of us. Um, so I think just at its most basic level, who can afford to rest? I mean, one of the biggest challenges that I've, pushbacks I've gotten from other Christians around Sabbath keeping is this idea of, well, it may be elitist, you know, not like there are shift workers, there are low wage workers, you know, yeah, it's great that you as a more privileged person can afford to take a rest, but not everybody can. And I think that that's absolutely right. And one of the main theologies of, of the Sabbath and Exodus is that it's intended for everyone. It's intended for, you know, um, owner and servant, man and woman, animal and human. And so actually um, there's a tremendous um, scholarship around how, uh, you know, Sabbath keeping is a call to egalitarianism. And so we need to remember that as we're, we're, so rather than sort of abandoning Sabbath keeping, I think what we can say is that's right. There's something deeply wrong with our society if not everyone can afford to rest. And so as we think about things like minimum wage, you know, we can actually bring a Sabbath um, pol ethic to the, pol to the, those policy discussions, um, which I think, you know, resonates with some of the work that's you're really doing with point. your new book, you know, a really and there's a, point. there's a history of that. I mean, look at the labor laws in the United yeah, States, yeah. a lot of those, um, pris prisoner debts, a lot of these kind of historical movements have actually been formed by a Sabbath ethic. So, um, so that we have that to build on. And I think we need to be bringing that into the conversation, but even more than that. So I'm, there's, I'm familiar. I became familiar with the work of Trisha Hersey, who calls herself the Nap Bishop, and she's doing amazing work. Um, and she really talks about rest as resistance and that, hmm. um, particularly a lot of people of color really, you know, there's this kind of, um, this intersection of white supremacy and capitalism. And that of course, with the legacy of slavery, when, you know, bodies were not allowed to rest, that really part of the pushback and the the, re the reparations and the reclamation is around reclaiming rest. Um, so she her work is incredibly powerful. I highly encourage folks to check her work out. Um, 
So there's a lot of elements, but I think then for me, and maybe I can talk a little bit more about this. Again, I identify as someone who wants to make the world a better place. I think like you, Brian, and I think there's, you know, a lot, a question of like, so what is the Christian answer to um, what, again, what our job is vis-a-vis God's job? Who's going to save the world? Is it us or God? And so for me, that's what I mean, that the that the theology of, that really digging into the theology of Sabbath keeping helped me look at that question more closely. Does that make sense? Very cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in addition to kind of the why around, you know, rest, um, you also talk about, you know, kind of the how and the when, you know, and so what does your personal, you know, Sabbath practice look like now? Yeah, so it's it's been, again, as I mentioned earlier in the interview, one of the mo- biggest blessings. It, it's sort of like, um, I think God has a funny sense of humor that I had to, like, research and write this whole book about rest to have to get have a weekly cadence of rest. But, um, well, first of all, that's a good point. I mean, I think that we need to think about the daily, the weekly, the sort of monthly or quarterly, and then the kind of lifetime rhythm of rest. So for me, you know, I really, I have a daily prayer practice. So that's kind of where I really try to rest in God on a daily basis. Then I have my weekly Sabbath practice, which I'll tell you more about. Part of what I did in the book was I took intentional 36 hour retreats for once a month. Um, And so then that's kind of the monthly or you could do that quarterly and then also thinking about sort of the lifetime um and even just i've been talking recently with with friends and colleagues about sort of what the meaning of rest means when you're retired like that that's a whole different sort of when you're kind of the perhaps the sort of core vocational work is done or you move into a second vocation um so i think it's really important to be talking about this both kind of in those chunks of time but also over the life course Um, But in terms of my weekly practice, one thing that I really, really struggled with is very practical. So everyone that I work with is generally offline on Saturdays, but then they start to get back online Sunday afternoons and nights. So there was there's incredible pressure. There's a great um, Wall Street Journal article that's titled um, Sunday nights, Sundays Sunday nights are the new Monday and, and workers are miserable. Um, so, you know, I feel that it's like there's pressure to check in and, and on Sunday afternoon or night. And um, those, you know, boundaries between work and home life are, are getting increasingly eroded. Um, so, so I would try really hard to, I wanted to be a good Christian and do it with everybody else, even though, again, not a lot of people were observing the Sabbath on Sundays. Um, I at least wanted to be in community with people. So, but actually what I ended up really exploring in the book was sort of the theology of Holy Saturday. You know, we, we talk about Good Friday and we talk about Easter, but what happened on Holy Saturday? That's when Jesus rested on the tomb. And that was actually the, the, the Jewish Sabbath that they were observing. Um, And so then we celebrate Easter as we, we celebrate every Sunday, the Lord's day as a little Easter. So now kind of, I have an intersection of kind of the practical and the theological, and I observe my Sabbath on Saturday, um, again, because of those two intersections. And then I think about Sunday as the Lord's Day. You know, I worship on Sunday morning, go to church. It's been online the last year, but we went to, we had our first in-person meeting this Sunday. It was great. Um, And then I begin, I try to bring I try to start my work week, you know, I start to then get back into work on Sunday afternoon. I might do chores or go grocery shopping or check my work email, but I try to bring what one author calls a resurrection mindset. You know, I try to like rest and then worship and then I'm re-entering my work um, with a different mindset, hopefully. So that's been really great. And uh, 
again, it's a, it's a kind of um, intersection of what's practical and sort of my theological exploration, which is perhaps a bit quirky, um, but it's been, it's been really helpful. And I, and I have to say, it's been really restorative, you know, I think that's, Brian, you know, you know, I work hard. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it's been really helpful to have a, a practice of restorative rest. <laughs> yeah, you and I both, you know, have some personality traits in, in common uh, like that, don't we? So um, what, what do you suggest for other folks, you know, for them to think about this and, you know, how can you both work hard and rest hard? Yeah, so I will say um, this. Here's the book again. And my our friend, um, Kathy Izzard, was one of my early reviewers. And she had a great suggestion. She was like, people need practical suggestions. So based on the suggestion that Kathy made, I added a quick start guide to, stab, to Sabbath. Oh, good for the book. Yeah, so, um, so in there, one of the suggestions I make is to really think about, like, what counts as work for you, like, for you, for everyone. Um, you know, work means different things to different people, right? If you're a stay-at-home parent, or if you are a full-time worker, or if you're retired, or if you're a student, or if you're unemployed. You know, one of the people I spoke to while I was writing the book is he said, when I was unemployed and looking for work, I felt like I did not deserve to rest, hmm. you know? Wow. And that just gets that, like, that Sabbath is is a gift from God. <laughs> Sabbath is not something we earn, just like all the other gifts from God. We don't earn them. We receive them. So just like that, the gift of rest is, um, is a gift from God. And so, you know, to really be thinking about, like, what counts as work for you. So if you're doing manual labor for your day job or for your work, or if you're a stay-at-home parent and you're, you know, taking care of kids and, doing laundry and, you know, or if you're like me, you spend a lot of your time on your computer, kind of what you're going to abstain from while you're resting is going to look different. So I would say that's the first step I would advise people is to really think about like what counts as work for you. Very, very uh, smart to be intentional about that question. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're recording this in early June, 2021, kind of yeah. as the country is emerging from the pandemic. Um, how does rest fit into the kind of build back better um, view of the world? Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, that phrase has a little bit become commonplace now, but when I was writing the book, um, you know, really that phrase, Build Back Better, it comes from the humanitarian sector. And so my public health colleagues and donors, I first heard that from that sector, that when you're when there's a humanitarian crisis, you're often talking about how you can build back better post-crisis. So I think a lot of us um, globally have been thinking about the implications for that for the pandemic. So, I mean, I don't know about you, Brian, but I think the silver lining that I heard a lot of people talking about was that when we were, you know, quarantining at home, there was so many, so much grief, so much trauma, so much loss for people, um, you know, and there were for some, not all, some silver linings, perhaps of spending more time with family of perhaps, you know, being less compulsively busy. And so I do think that as we re-enter, kind of as in the U.S., of course, the pandemic um, rages on in many settings around the globe. Um, but as in the U.S. things start to open up more, I think it's really a time for us to be reflective of um, of how we spend our time, how we spend our energy. You know, there's I, there's a great um, article I was just recommending and those published in the Harvard Business Review called Manage Your Energy, Not Your Time. You know, we often think about man managing our time, not our, but like, how do we really, um, you know, be intentional about um our, our, not just, again, our, our how, our why, and our when of rest as we move back into sort of a post-pandemic lifestyle. I like that idea of managing your energy. 
you know, because there are obviously things that we need to really focus on, right? And yeah. Focus on well, And I think it also goes back to your earlier question about social justice. I mean, this is a time, again, to be thinking about, I mean, we're so focused rightly so on the health inequities and um, in the United States and globally um, that the pandemic has really laid bare. I think we're also really have, it's been a wake up call for some of the the stresses that working parents have been facing um, during the pandemic. So, I mean, these issues of how do we work? How do we rest? How do we deal with, how do we address equity in those issues are again, that that's the heart of so much of the public policy issues that we're, that we're struggling with. And so I would again, encourage us to bring a Sabbath ethic to those conversations. So um, knowing that you've been so involved in running for your life, you know, in various ways for the last couple of years, you know, I have to ask you the question of, you know, in terms of learning, in terms of the networking, in terms of, you know, all the different aspects of what we do, how can you say that's most helped you? Yeah, well, I really just am so, as you know, Brian, so grateful for writing for your life. It's been an incredible community. And um, I mean, you know, for one thing there's that cheesy saying like finding your tribe and I have to say at the first I hope that we can get back to being in person because it was at the Raleigh um, conference when you and I first met and I looked around and for the first time in my life I think that phrase came to my head I said I thought to myself I've really found my tribe and that's um, that's a that's a gift so I thank you for that Um, you know and obviously you and um, the the content the resources you're offering have really helped um, help me in my journey because as I mentioned earlier it's if you're a new writer an emerging writer it's confusing how to build a platform and I think you know I've struggled even with that word how to build a platform and I think a lot of writers do like we love writing but um, marketing is 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 both intimidating and can feel unsavory so actually I'll give a shout out Um, Brian and I have just had a um, session accepted for the Wild Goose Festival that will happen over Labor Day weekend this year, and we're going to co-lead a session called Marketing as a Spiritual Practice. So really, <laughs> I think that's, for me, nails it. It's like, you know, for me, writing is a deeply spiritual practice, but now, you know, marketing sounds like a dirty word, and I think you've really helped me, Brian, challenge some of those assumptions, you know, so that I don't think of it that way. I think of it as reaching writers who will be hopefully interested in reading my words, and that's a totally different mindset than you know, something unsavory. So good, 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 good. That's wonderful. <laughs> I'm growing. Hopefully I'm growing. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm such a big believer in, you know, okay, why are we doing all this writing stuff and publishing yeah. stuff in the first place? And the right. main thing is to try to help other people. Right. So, you know, if marketing or whatever else is a means to that end, you know, it, it can be used very, very positively. So right. that's the way I try to think of it anyway. Getting the word out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, I don't want to ask you to divulge anything that you don't want to talk about yet, but, you know, I got to believe you've got some thoughts and plans about work beyond the first three books. Uh, Is there anything you can talk about? Well, I'm starting to put some pen to paper about a new new concept, so we'll see. I think it's a little early to be talking about it, but... um, yeah, it's been it's been so fun to work with Broadleaf Books on this project. Um, and you and I have talked about Broadleaf Books as the publisher here. I'll, I'll uh, yeah, I'll no, absolutely. I've got, got a lot of respect for for them and the work that they've done. I'm so glad yeah. you're working with them. Yeah, um, they're a new imprint. Um, so yeah, I mean, they really I think are supporting also a lot of progressive um, voices, and so they've been awesome to work with. So yeah, stay tuned for potential future projects, and um, I'll keep you posted, of course. But um, you know, I just really again, 
Yeah, I always feel sort of surprised that I've been called in this direction. I wasn't expecting it. But some of the, I mean, your own story, Brian, it's like we find our, you know, we get called and and to things we were not expecting. And they're, you know, amazing uh, blessings. Sure. That's for sure. Um, and, and maybe we can noodle on this whole marketing as a spiritual practice thing. And maybe, maybe, yeah. I don't know if there's a co-authoring opportunity. <laughs> People book together or not, but you know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we can. No, we can I think it's. I, mean, I think people that. really. I think people are hungry for for that because I know for me again, you know, I'm just so struck by Jesus's words. Like I came here to serve, not to be served, and so I think I'm really, you know, that's what I I want to avoid in myself is any you know sort of that like being self serving. So how do we stay kind of focused on the service aspect of our writing and then our kind of publishing and getting the word out through marketing. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> well, Kate, uh, congratulations on this new book. I mean, I know how much work it took for you to, you know, for anyone to pull together a serious book and uh, you've done that and Broadleaf is publishing it and that's all a wonderful thing. So, you know, I want to um, congratulate you on that. Thanks for, you know, sharing it with us. And, um, you know, best of luck with the launch of this, um, both short-term and beyond. Thank you. It's really been, it's been a blessing. I, again, it was uh, to write a book about rest while I was working full-time during a global pandemic. <laughs> was, uh, yeah, I think God definitely has a sense of humor. So, or, <laughs> but it's, no, it's been great. And I, again, just really thank you, um, and Brian, not just for, and I'll give a shout out too before we close. So in addition, of course, to your writing for your life, you also are the host of um, Compassionate Christianity. And just a reminder to folks, if they're not familiar, that um, on the Compassionate Christianity site, there's a curated list of resources related to Sabbath keeping that um, that I worked with Brian on. So you can check that out too. Um, that's a great resource, hopefully. Yeah, good point. Good point. Thanks for mentioning that. Well, Kate, thanks again so much for joining us. And, uh, you know, we'll watch with, you know, great uh, anticipation great. Uh, book launches. Thanks so much, Brian. Really appreciate all you're doing. Thank you. Take care.